it ties in perfectly into what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be looking in uh, Luke chapter 15 and uh, just a little bit in Luke chapter 19 today. So if you'd want to turn your Bibles there. But the main topic we're going to be talking about is the fact that lost people matter to Christ. Now, there's a lot of things that matter to us. A lot of things that, that have value. But to Christ, there's nothing more that matters than people. And that's really at the heart of God and really what ministry is about. And so I just looked up a few definitions of lost here. One is, could be a lost opportunities, but the other one that we looked at here is, is those that are missing from one's possession or are physically unknown or the location is, is lost. And, and when you, you look at this, there's no one that is outside of God knowing exactly where they are, exactly what they're going through, exactly what is on their heart, all their fears and all their worries. But what we don't always know is, does God have hold of their hearts? Have they sacrificed and said, Lord, I need you in my life? I'm, I'm hoping and praying that as, as we came here um, for the snowy blizzard that you're here because you've said, Jesus, I've surrendered my heart to you. But we know that that's not always the case. And, and, and so this is a, a situation that, topic that I'm, I'm really passionate about just because more and more, I don't know about you, the more I grow closer to God, the more I become aware of my need for him and just how desperate I am for him. And so uh, a few things here is that not only do lost people matter to Christ, but he paid the price for them. And there's a lot of things that I would say matter to me. Um, but when it comes down to it, there's some things I really wouldn't be willing to go the extra mile and make the sacrifice for. But people matter to God. And so the heart of God is for the lost. And the purpose and mission was to seek and to save the lost. And David Whiting, a former pastor of uh, Northridge Church in Rochester, New York, said this. He said, we believe that there is a heaven and a hell and everyone will spend forever somewhere. If we just let that sink in, that, that we believe as a church that there's a real heaven, a real hell, and so everyone will spend somewhere for eternity. He went on to say that 68% of people believe that there is a heaven and that they will be there, yet 65% of people believe in a real hell and they don't believe that they will be there. The numbers don't, simply don't add up. And Jesus said that what you decide about him will determine where you go. And which place you go isn't about how great you are. It's not about who you are. It's about who you trust in. And for many of us here, or either in this room or listening online, we've come to the point where we said, I have decided to follow Jesus. I love that song we sang during the baptisms, that, that I have decided to trust in Jesus, no turning back. And as we think about this and the greatest thing in our life, that should inspire us to tell others. Now, if we believe in this real place called heaven, we believe in this real place called hell, we should do everything we possibly could to go and tell other people about Jesus. In fact, Frederick Nietzsche, the ardent atheist, once said, you know, I don't believe in that stuff, but if I believed that Jesus was really true and that I really believed in real heaven and real hell, he said, I would crawl on my hands and knees and broken glass to tell every single person I could about it. 
Now, when we think about the gospel, we think about what Jesus is. It's not just, just selling fire insurance. It's leading someone to, to something that is better than anything that they could ever imagine. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things I could get rid of in this world. I would never trade my relationship for Christ because I know the impact that it's made on my life. And so when we share Christ with someone, we're sharing the hope that comes in Jesus. But then we also look at it too as we try to reach people and we dive in here that it's part of it is loving on people just to love people. Caring for people without self-alternatives or alternative motives. In fact, John Maxwell in his book, 25 Ways to Win with People, he talks about the importance of, of caring for people just to care for them before we even really dig deep because the truth is that people often don't care what we have to say until we know that until they know that we care about them so now if you're new here which i I think i I know most of you guys here but if you're new here you're listening online one of your skepticisms might be that christians are always trying to convert you and the truth of the matter is this it's true because we believe that there's hope in christ and we believe that there's only life truly found in them. And so if they, if they have come to know Christ uh, and they want to tell you, it's because of the difference that he has made in their lives. And so we're going to continue on here in, into Luke chapter 15 here. And the first two verses start out like this. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. There's a few things that we notice right off the bat here. First of all, the tax collectors and the sinners came to Jesus. They had a longing to hear from him. And I find it interesting that it says the tax collectors and the sinners. It separates the two. Tax collectors during this culture and during this time weren't any more loved than they are today, right? And and, and so tax collectors, though, were actually even more hated because most of them were Jewish people who, to most of the Jewish culture, believed that they had sold their soul and the rights to the Roman government and were collecting money from them. Many times there were dishonest people who would, would, would cheat and steal. In fact, in uh, Luke 19, we see the story of Zacchaeus, right? And Zacchaeus was a what? A wee little man, right? That, that's the main thing we know from it. But what happens here is Zacchaeus, just like these tax collectors here, in fact, I believe that these tax collectors who had this encounter with Jesus probably went and told other people, and that's why Zacchaeus wanted to see what was going on. But Zacchaeus had a heart that said, God, I, I, I need you. And so Jesus sees him right where he's at. And he says, Zacchaeus, will you come down from that tree? Jesus knows each of us by name. That person that doesn't know Christ that you love and you're praying for, and that maybe you've been praying for 10 years, and you're saying, God, do you hear my prayers? Jesus knows them by name. So they were longing to hear from him. And, and the other thing that we see here in this passage is that in order to care about the loss, we must realize our own position before God. The Pharisees and the religious leaders thought that they had everything together. And can I be honest, it is so easy for me to look at situations that people think, you know what, why can't they just get their life together? Have any of us fought that? 
but Jesus meets them where they're at. And so this whole passage that we're going to look through here really also gets at the heart of the Pharisees and the religious leaders and, and in my own heart saying, God, how many times do I put my religiosity above people? Arkent Hughes says this about understanding our own position and what Christ has saved us from. He says, we all begin lost sinners. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own ways. There is no one righteous, no, not one, not even one who understands and no one who seeks God. But God searched us out with unhurrying chase and unperturbed peace, deliberate speed, majestic Instancy, he tracks us down. Then he hoists us on his sovereign shoulders, made wide by the cross. We believe and repent. He bears our sins and he bears us home, home as the consolations ring with divine joy. I love that passage. I lo- love what he says there. The fact that, that Christ, each of us has started off lost from the fold of God. And so it, it, it stirs within us the desire to tell other people because of what Jesus has saved us from. And I'm often reminded of Ephesians chapter 8. And, and my, some of my life verses are 8 through, through 10. And it says, For as by grace you have been saved for faith, and this is not yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works that anyone could boast. So there's nothing in our own salvation we could boast from. But then it continues on here. It says, But we are created, God's work, handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, God has called you and I, if we're believers in Christ, to do the work of the Father, and that's to reach the lost. But without Christ, we are all lost. And so we continue on to verse 3 here in Luke chapter 15. And it says, Then Jesus said to them this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, if you've ever lost something, you know how frustrating it can be. But Jesus in this illustration here is saying that he would leave everything to go find that lost sheep. Friends, we have people who are lost that don't know Christ. That God is saying, would you be my hands and feet? Would you be my spokesman? Now, now Jesus can do anything. He He doesn't need us to do anything, but he desires for us to be a part of it. When you go and you talk to missionaries, you talk to people around the world, God's laying burdens and visions on people's hearts to come to know the gospel. But we have the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing in reaching his people. And so this next slide, if you have ever can relate to this at all, I came across this. One of the most frustrating things ever to me is, well, all three of these are pretty frustrating, all right? Uh, If you've, I'll give you a few seconds to read this here, and if you're listening online, (laughs) which most of you are, uh, it is a uh, cartoon here talking about the reality of losing your keys or losing that puzzle piece or losing, losing your remote. But one of the things here is that we've spent hours, we actually do competitions in our house. And so if the keys get lost, um, we say, all right, first person to find dad's keys gets, gets a dollar, right? And so norm, no, yeah, normally it's, normally it's me, I find them, but, um, or Meg finds them. And she said, we don't have that. You know, but 
Or if the, the TV remote, right, we look all over for it and we, we tear apart uh, the house, uh, heaven and earth to find these things. But if you go to the next slide, if one of these three, my children who are up on the screen go missing, I'm going to do everything I can possibly do to get to them. I, I love that, that picture of, of them here. It's uh, their future uh, CD cover. But... One of the things that we look at and we realize in life is that the things that are really important to us, we're willing to put effort and time into. You know, I, I think about, um, there's two times that, that uh, uh, one of my children have been missing, okay? Uh, and, and one of the times we went to Great Wolf Lodge uh, in Cincinnati, and it's, it's, it's a huge water park, and uh, we went down the slides, and I was up on top with Nehemiah and Evelyn, and the lady working the slides said, oh, don't worry, if you send your daughter down first, We'll have her stay right there. So they whistled down, and she was to stay right there. And I had to go down with Nehemiah because they make you send your kid first. Weird system, okay? So they go down, and I get down to the bottom in this huge water park, and there's a tidal wave, pool, and everything, and Evelyn's gone. Meg just went upstairs to the hotel room with, with Ellie, and she said, now watch them close. And I said, I got this. Can I tell you the panic that ensued in my heart? I went up to every single person I possibly could and said, hey, I need you to help me find my daughter. Sit down the water park, drain all the water out, whatever you have to do, right? And so we look around. We're, we're running like crazy for the whole park. And, and I have about 15 workers running around with me now. Half of them don't know what I'm saying. Uh, they, they, didn't, they were uh, exchange students. And we're running around, and they're going, Evelyn, Evelyn, we're calling out. And, and he or she had went back up to the top to where we were before because she couldn't find me and she was standing with another mom. My heart was beating a million beats a minute. But you know, I thought about this. When my daughter was lost, I went and I got everyone I could possibly find to come with me to go find them. Isn't that what God calls for us? He said, I have children that are lost. I have people that were created in my image that do not know my name. And I desire for them to know me. And so that one will always stick with me. And, and, and as we think about that, we also think about the joy. As we read these next few verses. Verse 5, he says, And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so there's a few things here. When, when I found my daughter, not only did those people, not only were they going around with me, they rejoiced with me, right? They were grateful that, hey, look at what God has done. That's something that's so powerful about baptism services is we rejoice in people who have turned their lives to Christ. I don't know about you, but I love hearing the testimonies. And each of our testimonies is different of how Christ has called us to himself. 
but they're each powerful because it's what God has done in our lives. And so Jesus, upon finding those who are lost, rejoices and calls others to rejoice with him. Hope Church, when we see people come to know Christ, here we can rejoice together. And so Jesus calls us to rejoice. So in Daniel, though, and as he's working and serving with Inca Link, when he's, when he's leading someone and, and someone comes to know Christ, we celebrate and rejoice just as much with them as we do in, for the people in Brunswick, Ohio. Why? Because our Father is rejoicing. I remember I was with Nehemiah, and he was going around, and he was, he was running around with me too, and, and he was so excited when he found his sister. Do we get excited when our brothers and sisters in Christ get found? And, and that excitement should spur us on to reach others. It doesn't matter what the socioeconomic status or our position or race or anything. People matter to God. Also, there is no sin that can separate us at such a great distance that Jesus can't find us. Aren't you grateful for that? Verse 7, though, it, it, you know, continuing on with that, just, just want to focus on that fact that people matter to God. The truth is that each person has value to God. We aren't given a number ID tag or anything like that. Instead, Luke chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 10 says that God knows the number of hairs on our head. Think about that. So as you're talking to people, as you're praying, as you're, you're, you're trying to share Christ with them, God knows exactly what they need. And also finishing up that section here, verse 7 is a counter to the religious leaders who acted as though they were without sin. Notice it says there, if you, you look back to, to verse 7, it says, I tell you the same way, there will be more rejoicing one he uh, in heaven over one sinner who repents over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The Bible's very clear that there's no one righteous, no, not one. But as Jesus says this, as he speaks these words, he's speaking to a group of people who thought that they had everything together. Folks, I'm glad that by the grace of God we're here and that Hope Church isn't a pe uh, building full of people who are perfect. Amen. It's a building and online uh, viewership of people who are fallen but worship a perfect Savior. And so God's heart is for the lost. And the question is, what can we do to be a part of this? So Luke chapter 19, verse 10, as we go to this next verse, says this. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus' very heartbeat and mission was to reach those that need to know the gospel. So God also tells us that he wants us to be about the same mission that he has. And so if, at Hope Church, if we have the mission of saying, Jesus, we want to serve and follow you, guess what we need to do? We need to have a heart for the lost. It's so easy that when we come into church that we want to sit by the people that we know. We want to, want to be in relationship with the people that we feel comfortable with. But maybe God's saying, it's really not about you and I. It's about reaching those that need him. So if you open your bulletin, you should have a little, little card in there. 
um, little index card. And if not, if you're listening uh, online, you, you can also take a sheet of paper here. And I want us to do something. Uh, when I went to a conference a number of years ago at Northridge Church, um, they have this whole philosophy of ministry, of uh, intentional living, and it's called um, Pi 2, a formula for intentional living. And, and it, it simply breaks down like this. They want you to pray for someone, invest in someone, and invite someone. And they want you to have three people constantly they're praying for you. And so as I've been doing this over the years, you know what? There's some people who have stayed on that list. But I think it's time that we get intentional about this. So I want us to just uh, take a minute or two and, and just think about who are three people that God might be laying on our heart that need to know him, that God might be calling you or, not, you or I to reach out to. So just go write down those names and then we will... Continue on. This could be a friend, family member, co-worker, and classmate. And as we continue on with that, what I'd like us to do is to be intentional about this. For, for me, I'm going to set alarms on my phone to tell me, Dan, it's time to pray for so-and-so. It's pr- time to pray for, for this person. And some of these people are people that in my mind, I've stopped praying for because I've thought, I've God, are you really going to work here? But God has laid on my heart as I've been preparing for this message, the fact that he cares so much more for these people than I ever could. And, and so as we start to live intentionally, there's a few quick uh, things we're going to cover. The first thing that I would do is, is I'd encourage you to pray. Pray that God would, would work in hearts and minds. Pray that God would, would, uh, pray that God would open up doors. Pray that God would soften hearts. Pray that God would give providential opportunities. What those are is opportunities where someone would just come and ask you a question. I remember that when I was in high school, um, my youth pastor challenged us, Dan, would you pray every day that God would lead someone in your life that needs to know Christ? And so I'll I said, you know, sure, I'll do it. I remember standing in the line of, at the bank, at U.S. Bank, when I worked at Giant Eagle uh, in Parma, and this lady walked up to me and said, hey, will you pray for me? I had my Giant Eagle outfit on. I didn't have anything. It wasn't anything special about me, but, but God led her to ask me that, and I got to share Christ with her. And, and, and there's, there's times like that when you just say, God, would you give me a heart like you have? And so a few quick things here in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 for 4, Paul is in jail. He's in prison, and here's his heart. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Here's Paul in prison, and he's saying, God, would you help me to proclaim the gospel? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Pray also for me, that whenever I speak words, they may, they may be given plain to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And so as we pray for these people on our cards, and as we pray that God will give us opportunities, here's the three things I want us to pray for out of these verses. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Pray, God, would you send me, if you love these people, would you send people in my life? 
that I can share with, and then you got to take the next step and do it. Next, Paul, the apostle who's been shipwrecked, he's been beaten, he's seen God do amazing things through him, though, says, pray for me for boldness, pray for boldness, pray that God would help us out, and pray for one another that God would give us boldness. And the last one is pray for clarity. Pray that God would give us the words to say that they wouldn't be ours, but they would be his. And when we do that, Jesus will give us the words to say. And these last two, invest. If we're, if we're willing to, to say, God, would you work in Brunswick, Ohio? There's 37,000 people, and many of them do not know Christ in Brunswick. If we're willing to invest in that, it takes time building relationships. If you don't know someone that doesn't know Christ, then we've got to evaluate how are you going to reach people that need to know Christ. So invest time into those people. Spend time just caring about them for the sake of caring about them. And you might start to see their heart soft, and you might be married to someone that doesn't know Christ, and you're thinking, how are they ever going to know Christ? Love them like Christ would. Live, live a life of holiness that, that exemplifies Christ. And, and this might be building relationships. It might be having coffee with someone once a week just to get to know them and open these doors of conversation. And over time, they might begin to ask you, what is so different about you? And lastly, invite. Invite them to a church service or a Bible study or to eat, but in the end, invite them into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is that coming to church and standing in a church makes you no more a Christian than standing in a garage makes you a car. C.S. Lewis once said that, and, and I think those words ring true. But when we invite people into a relationship with Christ, it makes all the difference And why. Because Christ loves the lost. So let's go to Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we come to you today and we ask, Lord, that you would give us a heart like you have. Lord, I know in my own life there's been people on my list that, Lord, I, I desire to come to know you. But Lord, I've, I really haven't invited them into that conversation of, do you really know Jesus? Lord, I pray that this wouldn't just be a thing that we would pick up and, and maybe do for a week or two. Lord, may you give us a burden for lost people because they matter to you. And help us to remember, Lord, that they're no different than we are. Lord, that we're all sinners saved by grace, by that blood that was shed upon the cross because you loved us enough that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. In your precious name, amen.